As we transition into the radio phase of our program, we want to welcome our KKVV listening audience, the, the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church, located at 1720 North J Street. Our speaker today is our very own senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Brock. Today he has another soul-stirring uh, sermon for us. But before he comes to us, we'll have our scripture reading by Fundy Pierre Louis, and followed by another sacred selection by our very own pastor, Wayne O'Bannon. Following that, we'll hear the voice of our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. Happy Sabbath, church. Our scripture for today is coming from Hebrews 9, verses 24 and 25. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with his hands, which are, which are copies of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year, the most holy place every year with blood of another. May the Lord bless the reading. When I moved here, I moved from Arizona, Phoenix in the valley, and I moved to the valley of Las Vegas. But there's a valley that I'm looking for in heaven. Because see, there's no peace in these valleys, but there's truly peace in the valley in heaven. Someday there will be peace. 
no sorrow and no sadness and no trouble will be there will be peace in the valley for me where the bear will be gentle thank our listening audience for tuning in to the replay of the morning service of this Sabbath day, August 26th, here at the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm going to invite you to study with me a very sacred and solemn topic which we're placing in the flow of our general thought for sermonizing this time of year, and that is something better. If there's any way to summarize Jesus' ministry, it is that he came to bring the world something better. You can talk all the details, and we know all the dates and all the doctrines, but sum it all up. 
And what we have is the idea that Jesus is offering to the human race, to you and to me, right here, right now, something better than we've ever known or had before. Something better. And the book of Hebrews has many very clear statements as to the better things that Jesus offers. Hebrews tells us he's a better high priest, he's a better Adam, tells us he's a better sanctuary, tells us he's a better covenant, and so forth and so on. But I've chosen just one of those many something betters from Hebrews for us to meditate upon today. And that was focused in our scripture, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm going to read for you verse 24. In fact, let's begin at verse 23 and read through 25. Did you bring your Bible today? Amen. All right. Let's look at Hebrews 9:23. Therefore, it was necessary that copies of the things in heavens, in the heavens, should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with what? With what, everybody? Better With better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of both God and us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year, with blood of another. Then... He would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the what of himself? Sacrifice. By the sacrifice of himself. Let's meditate a bit today on the topic of a better sacrifice. A better sacrifice. The system of sacrifices that Moses conducted, to which Paul is referring here, involved a wide variety of animals. The people had to kill and place on their altars the bleeding bodies of sheep and goats and cows and sometimes even birds, but most especially the bodies of lambs. Lambs were the chosen priority for sacrifice. But it didn't begin with Moses. Actually, this whole thing about killing an animal and placing its body on an altar to bleed and burn. This whole thing started back in the very beginning when Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden. But even before they were cast out of the Garden, God made a promise in which all the latter sacrifices were grounded. Read with me now Genesis 3 verse 15 Genesis 3 verse 15 
And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. This is God speaking to the serpent, the devil. He shall bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first promise of a savior. Right there on the scene of the crime, while their hands were still dirty with their disobedience, before they were excommunicated, God promised Adam and Eve and through them the entire human family, all their descendants, down to you and to me and beyond us if time should last, God promised a redeemer. And from Eden, from which Adam and Eve were extricated or Adam and Eve were excommunicated, down to Sinai, 2,500 years later, all the patriarchs and the prophets, all of the people signified by the sacrifice of their lambs that one day, one day, the true Lamb of God would come and die. And every family that had children, every family into which a boy baby was born, would hope that that little boy baby would be the promised Messiah. But it didn't happen. And 2,500 years later, when the children of Abraham had become a large family of over 2 million people, as they were leaving Egypt, God told Moses to come up into the mountain, and he showed him a pattern of a sanctuary in heaven, and he told him in specific language how he wanted this process to operate and what animals would die for what sins and what time of day that animal would die and what age it would be in size and all the details about how the sacrifice, the sacrificial system would work. And for the next 1,500 years, for the next 1,500 years or from Sinai to Bethlehem, the Jews, the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed. They sacrificed for the priest and they sacrificed for the people and they sacrificed in praise and thanksgiving and they sacrificed when they asked for forgiveness and they sacrificed for protection from their enemies and they sacrificed in celebration of their victories. They sacrificed in spiritual rededication and revival. They had daily sacrifices and feast day sacrifices and quarterly sacrifices and annual yearly sacrifices. And when these sacrifices were done right, God was pleased. Such as in Genesis 4-4, when he told Cain and Abel to offer sacrifices back there in the very beginning stages. And Abel brought the Lamb, Abel brought the animal as God had instructed, and the Bible says that God respected his offering. But when these sacrifices were not done right, God rejected them as he did with Abel. God 
with Cain, God rejected the sacrifices that were not specifically as he had ordered. And the sacrificing agent was punished sometimes with death, as with the case of Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, because the sacrifice that was intended to represent Christ had been mishandled and mangled and adulterated by attitudes and acts that God did not approve. But even when the sacrifices were right, such as with Abel and Abraham and later Elijah, and we are told that Abraham would put up an altar everywhere he went, so if anybody wanted to trace Abraham, all they had to do was go from altar to altar and say, uh-huh, we know he's been here. He is an altar. Everywhere he traversed, he left an altar. Such as the altars built by Elijah when he was arguing and debating with the prophets of Baal. God, who honored Abel's sacrifice, honored Abraham's sacrifice, honored Elijah's sacrifice by sending fire to consume the animals and to make sure that the prophets of Baal understood who he, God, is to consume the water around the altar. And not only that, but consume the stones in the altar itself. I think perhaps one of the most graphic illustrations of how these sacrifices work is recorded in the book of 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 63, 62 and 63 tell us that Solomon and all Israel offered sacrifices before the Lord when Solomon's temple had been completed. And listen to verse 63. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings which he offered to the Lord 22,000 bulls. Can you imagine that? 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house to the Lord. But even this, even with Solomon's hundreds and thousands of bulls and sheep, all of that even so was just illustrative. It was a demonstration. It was pointing to something to come. All of it was temporary. God was simply by these means reminding the world that the Lamb of God would come and sacrifice himself. So these were ceremonies but no salvation. They were details without deliverance. They were rituals without redemption. Form but no forgiveness there. The law demanded blood but true forgiveness would not come through the blood of sheep and goats and cows and pigeons. True forgiveness and salvation must come not from something, but somebody. In fact, only one equal with the law 
could rightfully die for the breaking of the law. Only the lawmaker could die for the lawbreaker. If any other sacrifice had been intended by God, the devil would have cried foul and unfair. A lesser than a human couldn't do it. Another created being from an unfallen world could not come and do it because that being would not have life in himself and would not equal the law. The best of human beings, even a repentant Adam, could not do it because the human race had been polluted by sin and was not equal to the law. The only hope was that the lawmaker would die for the lawbreaker, but the problem was the lawmaker is God and God can't die. Only the lawmaker could die for the lawbreaker. That was our only hope. The lawmaker had to die for the lawbreaker, but the lawbreaker is God and God can't die. And the devil understood this. And so his theme song through the 4,000 years was the lawmaker has to die for the lawbreaker and the lawmaker can't die. Ha ha ha. I got it. I got it. He thought that he had God backed up in a corner on the chessboard of salvation and no move, no escape was possible. And for 4,000 years, from Eden to Sinai and Sinai to Bethlehem, he repeated his theme. Only the lawmaker can die for the lawbreaker, and the lawmaker is God, and God can't die. And so he watched as the people slew one animal after another, 100 years, 1,000 years, a million years, all through history, he watched as a million days and weeks went by and still no lawmaker to come and die for the lawbreaker. And he leered and he sneered and he jeered and I can hear him saying now, Promises, promises, promises. All he makes is promises. Only the lawmaker can die for the lawbreaker. The lawmaker is God and God can't die. But then it happened. The most ingenious plan, the most brilliant, strategically astute in the history of all the universe, Jesus was born of Mary, all God and all man at the same time. Amen. 
He was called Emmanuel in Matthew, God with us. And Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages 6, 63 and 4, Christ had not ceased to be God when he became man, though he humbled himself to humanity, the Godhead was still his own. He was God, and by some divinely appointed process, today we would call it artificial insemination, he connected himself to Mary's umbilical cord. And we don't know in what shape or form. Maybe he had reduced himself to platypasm and just given himself a little, a little molecule or two that contained all of the Godhead and he hooked that on to Mary's cord. Or maybe he put a little baby, maybe he reduced himself into just some little tiny, tiny bit of a holistic creature and hooked himself onto Mary's umbilical cord. We don't know whether it was sperm that mixed with her egg or whether it was a little body that was hooked on to her frame. But this much we do know, he was God going in but he was God and man coming out. What came from Mary's womb was a creature like no one else before or since. He came into this world a dual nature, not blended. You couldn't take God and man and blend them up as in a blender and come out with something God and man all intertwined together. He was all God and all man at the same time mated together but each distinct in his own nature. Son of God and son of man. He was God who was willing to die but being God couldn't die. The devil had it right. But he was also man who could die but being a perfect human shouldn't die. And in fact, it was not until at age 12 that he himself really realized what was going on. It was when he stood in the temple and watched the priest kill the paschal lamb. It is when he watched the priest now 4,000 years later he stood there and beheld the blood shed from the lamb and it hit him. His human self was struck with the realization that he's talking about me. That's me the priest is talking about. I am the one who is going to die. I am the one born to die. It was Jesus who created the human race. It was Jesus who promised in Genesis 3.15 to come and save the human race. He realized that this was he, he who had written the laws and given them to Moses. He who had shown him the blueprint in the mountain. He was the one who had intercepted Abraham's lethal strike to his son Isaac. It was himself 
that he saw mirrored in what the high priest was doing and he left the temple and went home and for the next 18 years of his life or until age 30 he quietly prepared in Joseph's carpenter shop and he prayed and he pondered and when his mind was fully matured and when his brain had logged all the prophecies possible from the scriptures when he was physically spiritually and emotionally ready he left the security of home and went out into the busy thoroughfare and first was baptized by John who said behold the lamb then he stepped into his services and for three and a half years he went about doing good. He healed with his God powers but he resisted temptation in his human equipment. He had Adam's spiritual nature before Adam fell. In other words, he did not have Adam's fallen self, fallen spiritual equipment. He began where the first Adam started, but he had the physical stature and vitality of the generation into which he came that had been reduced by 4,000 years of sin. Because he was God, sickness could not last in his presence. When he touched the eyes of the blind, they saw. When he fingered the deaf ears of those who could not hear, their olfactory glands were open, they heard. And when he passed hospitals, he who is the fountain of life, he who is the giver of life, he who is the dynamo from which all life flows. When he passed by hospitals, all of the sick, got up and went home. And when he passed by graveyards, the dead climbed out of their tombs and lived again. But while the God Jesus was doing all these wonderful, glorious, exceptional miracles, the human Jesus was fighting it out on your terms and mine. He got hungry. He got thirsty, he got tired, his fingers ached from touching and healing, his feet got sore, he got sleepy, and yet he never worked a miracle from God's self to relieve his human self. He had to fight it out on our terms. And because he was human, when he beheld our plight, he cried, he cried. And when they hung him on the cross and strapped him between the thieves, he died, he died. And how does that make him a better sacrifice? Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9 tells us in the very verses we've already read but let me review it with you Hebrews 9 24 for Christ was not entered has not entered the holy places made with hands which are copies of the true but into heaven itself 
now to appear in the presence of God. Jesus is our better sacrifice because he is the real deal. No animal could perform the task. He who was the combination of God and man had one hand on the human race and its pulse, but with the other he grasped the throne of God and he is our better sacrifice because what he did didn't just stay around on the altars of earth. They connected he connected with the throne room of heaven. God the Father took the willingness of Jesus God who would die but couldn't and he matched it with the blood of a human Jesus who could die and he did. And so he linked the willingness of God with the blood shed by man and he said this is it it's the real deal the human race has seen its adequate sacrifice number two he is our better sacrifice because as verse 25 says Hebrews 9 not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of ages, he has appeared to put away sin by sacrifice of himself. Jesus is our better sacrifice because when he died, it was once and for all. All those thousands of years, all those millennia, those thousands of years that the priests and the people were killing those animals, they had to keep on, keep on killing. They had to kill, they had to wake up and think about the killing. And there were rivers of blood that they shed, rivers of blood and forests of trees had been cut to burn and all those rituals had to re be repeated again and again. But Jesus died once and his one death was enough for the whole process to be completed. And look at what his death did. That one death annulled all of Moses' laws. That's what Colossians is talking about when it says that the laws have been nailed to the cross. As Jesus died, the very moment that he was dying, when he was saying, it is finished, the priest once again was in the temple about to slay the lamb. And when Jesus, the lamb of God, cried, it is finished on the cross, the little lamb leaped up out of the grasp of the priests and ran away. There was no longer any need to kill those lambs because the true lamb of God had died. And all of Moses' laws were ended. It was the end of the bulls and the goats and the calves and the sheep and the pigeons. No more of that because now, once and for all,
the Lamb of God had died for the human race. And a third way that his sacrifice qualifies as the better one, we read in chapter 10, beginning at verse 10 and then verse 14. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Jesus' death constitutes our better sacrifice because his blood not only cancels our debt of sin, but because it sanctifies and cleanses us. It's one thing to be forgiven, but it's another thing to be made right. The prodigal father went out and forgave his son, but he still wasn't ready to live in the father's house. He had to put a robe on him and clean him up and get him ready to live. Jesus' blood forgives us of our sins, but it also cleanses us and it qualifies us to live in the Father's house. And how does that work? Well, let's read up a little higher in the Word. I want you to turn, if you will, to chapter 8 and verse 8, verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things which we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest, verse 3, is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Every high priest has a gift and a sacrifice. Jesus, our sacrifice, has given not only his blood in sacrifice, but he has a gift, and the gift that he gives is his robe of righteousness. And if he had not died, that robe could never be made available. It was only because he died that our salvation, our acceptance is possible. Look at verse 15, verse 16 and 17 in chapter 9. For where there is a testament, there must also be the what? The what? Death of the testator. In other words, where there's a will, the will maker must die before its provisions are then distributed. And Jesus had to die. He had to be our sacrifice in order that his gift of righteousness might cover us. So he is the high priest. Himself the offering. Himself the offerer. He presents his sacrifice, his death, and he presents his gift, which is his life, and that life covers us, and because we are covered with his robe of righteousness, we are made acceptable to God. 
And so, Jesus is our better sacrifice. And there's one more reason I would like to leave with you. And this one I read in Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus is our better sacrifice, brothers and sisters, because he has removed the middle man. We no longer have to go through priests when Moses' systems with its feast day Sabbaths and all of its meats and drinks, when all of those things were nailed to the cross, also nailed was the priesthood, whereby the people had to go to the priest and ask the priest to pray for forgiveness of sins and enter in through some man, good man though he may be, in order to get to the Father. Jesus is our better sacrifice. Because we can now, you and I, can now go boldly to the throne of grace. Yes. You and I don't have to pray through Mary or Peter or Paul or anybody else. We can in our own little undone way, we can kneel down and say, Our Father which art in heaven. Nobody has to pray for me to get there because Jesus has wiped all that out. By his sacrifice, he has made a highway between the human heart and the heart of God. Amen. Now, the question becomes, since he has done all that for you and me, what does he want in return? Let's read it in the book of Psalms, Psalm 50, verse 5. He requires a response. And Psalm 55 reads this way. Gather my saints to me, those who have made a what? Those who've made a what? A covenant with me by what? By sacrifice. Ah, Jesus has done his thing. He left the courts of glory. He divested himself. He took off his royal robes and he found a way to enter into Mary's womb and to be a part of the human experience. He has sacrificed as much as even a God could. He left all of that and when he came to this world, look at what he did. He sacrificed. He said at one point, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He sacrificed. He did not indulge in the riches of life. He was not a stockbroker with his feet propped up on a desk and secretaries taking dictation and running errands. He was an itinerant preacher born in poverty 
His mother and father couldn't find a place where he could even have his nativity. He had to come into this world in the midst of the animals in a barn and all of his life he sacrificed. He who said the cattle on a thousand hills are mine was an itinerant preacher with no permanent home followed around by some ragtag fishermen who were enabled and ennobled by his grace. But that's the sacrifice he made. Then upon the cross, he made the ultimate sacrifice. He who left the adoration of angels and the power of glory, who lived a sacrificial life of poverty on earth, went on the cross. He sacrificed again and finally and determinately he gave his life. He sacrificed. He didn't have to do it, but he shed his blood in total sacrifice for the human race. And now he says to you and me, I want you to make a covenant by sacrifice. Amen. Mark 8:34, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross. That's the sacrifice he wants. And he's looking for people today. People who keep the Sabbath, yes. People who eat right, yes. People who don't smoke and drink, yes. All that, all that. He wants us to clean up our bodies, but he puts it under one title here. He wants people who have a covenant by sacrifice. And my question of you is, what are you willing to sacrifice today? Romans 12:1 says that I would that you would make your whole selves, your whole body a living sacrifice. Our great challenge in this year of our Lord 2008 in the month of July and on is to respond willingly to his call. Sometimes it means sacrificing friends. You might have to sacrifice a relationship. You might have to move out of that house or stay away from that woman or that man and let him or her go. The sacrifice may be a sacrifice in the way you dress. You like all those things that sparkle and tinkle. You feel good when you can flash. You, you look in the mirror and, and, and you, you get a certain self-confidence because you look like somebody you saw some other place. But Jesus is saying, I want people who have made a covenant by sacrifice. And if what I wear, listen to me, if what I wear is a problem that misleads somebody else, then I must be willing to sacrifice and take it off. Maybe I don't see anything wrong with it. But if it's a stumbling block, I have to sacrifice. 
Maybe it's a sacrifice of habits that you like. The letting go of something that is precious to you. Jesus let it go. He let heaven go. He let his riches go. He let his comforts go. He even let his life go. He let his blood flow in order that you and I might be forgiven and that we might be covered. And now he says, I'm looking for people who are willing to sacrifice. If you love me, sacrifice. Your sacrifice may be your money. And as this church advances toward Christian education, we're going to ask you to sacrifice. We're going to ask you, church, to sacrifice. You saw a little bit of it today and last week, and there's more coming. We must be a people who will sacrifice in our funds for the church in order that God's program might be successful. But then the question is, and Peter asked it here in John 19, verse 27, John 19, 27, then Peter answered and said to him, to Jesus, see, we have left all and followed you. Jesus, we have sacrificed. We have given up everything. We left our boats. You said, take up the cross. Now we have left our friends and we are following you. But what's in it for me? That's what Peter wanted to know. See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Verse 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, as I say to you, that in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me, and let's add, by sacrifice. And we are so, so selfish, we human beings. We're so selfish. We want it all for ourselves. We want... We want to die with more toys than the next person. We want to pile it up. We want to look good. It's, it's the way the world is and it affects us. We want to appear to be in harmony with others and ahead of others. But that's so contrary to Jesus. His whole thing is sacrifice. And the devil hates sacrifice. But God is calling for a church, abundant life, who is willing to make a covenant by sacrifice. Some of us haven't sacrificed at all. And some of us, and I'm one of them, haven't sacrificed enough. But when I study the life of Christ, and I see how far he's gone from me, I am ashamed. I'm inspired. I want to do more. And the object of this conversation today is to lift up Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice and example and to call you his people to be willing to sacrifice. And so I'm going to ask you, is there anybody here today who if the truth were told you, 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 you would actually know and you'd actually be guilty that you haven't given him enough time. You've been so busy with your family and so busy with your job that you haven't sacrificed enough time for Jesus. 
his work has been crowded out. You come to church on Sabbath, but that's about it. You may have worship at home and those, but I'm talking about getting out and doing work for him. Is there anybody in the congregation who would like to say what I see when I behold the wondrous cross, when I see what Jesus did for me, I have to admit, I haven't been giving him enough time. And pastor, I'm just going to stand and say, pray for me because today I do want to give more of my time to Jesus. Anybody like that? Just stand where you are. And if everybody stands, I'll be confused. <laughs> or I think you're confused. But honestly, could you sacrifice more time? Maybe you have to sacrifice a little television, huh? And let me go to the next point. Is there anybody here today who says, when I behold this sacrifice, when I see the whole picture like this, I, I, I do my tithe, I do my tithe pretty well, but in my offerings, my commitment I haven't really sacrificed I signed up for two percent or three percent and that's good but I could do more and when I see what Jesus has done for me I want to take up my cross I, I, I'll deny myself another car to help our young people have a church school I'll deny myself another suit or a dress or TV or vacation and I'd like to stand or raise my hand and say Lord deepen my appreciation and help me to be willing to do a greater sacrifice anybody like that you may stand and if you're already standing just raise your hand and say yes I can do better I can do better no doubt about it all right, God sees your hands. And what about some of you with dress? Let me get specific. You know you don't have to wear everything you wear. And you might feel a little naked without it. But you would like to be modest, really modest. And by raising your hand and saying a silent prayer or standing, you would say, Lord, help me. Not just when I come out on Sabbath, but when I go to work Monday morning. Help me, Lord, to let those tinsels go. I'm going to make the sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice. I love it. I like it. It's going to hurt me to let it go. But Lord, help me. Help me. Help me. As I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, I rededicate myself to dressing in the right way. And you don't have to hold up your hand. Just talk to God about it. Finally, there may be some people here today who need to let go of certain friends. Friends that may be pulling you down, taking you the other way. And you'll be willing to sacrifice. You're not going to be mean to anybody, but you have to change some relationships in order to get your sacrifice right. 
while I'm at it there may be some people here who need to change their ideas sacrifice your own ideas when you read the Word of God and you read the Bible and the manual you look at it and you've got your own queer ideas but you need to get in line with the church and get in line with God and stop trying to figure your way to salvation just let go and sacrifice your ideas for the good of the body our Father in heaven what a sacred thought what a solemn moment make us dear God to be faithful to be willing to sacrifice give us the spirit of sacrifice and as we behold Jesus and all that he sacrificed may we daily grow in his likeness follow in his path of self-denial knowing that while in this life we will have a hundredfold because we have peace and joy in the life to come we will put on our jewels we'll have robes and we'll have crowns and we'll walk on golden streets and we'll touch walls of jasper and we'll tread on the sea of glass and we'll be surrounded with beauty and pageantry and what we sacrifice now will be more than repaid yes. if we're faithful yes, Lord. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed I've been talking to the members of the church about sacrifice and dress sacrifice in diet, sacrifice in relationship, sacrificing our money, but there may be somebody here today who needs to sacrifice some relationship in a church where they do not honor the commandments of God and you need to make the sacrifice because you lose some friends but you're willing to make the sacrifice and step out and belong to God's commandment keeping people such a one would you raise your hand right where you are the doors of the church are open oh father God hear your people help us to feel it help us to know it and help us to enjoy the rewards that you give in this life and in the life to come we ask in Jesus name that all the people say amen, amen. amen. shall we be seated